time enough at last. Submitted for your consideration to sci-fi fans, Sean Majors and Keith Conrad. Rewatch The Twilight Zone from beginning to end. It's like something out of that Twilighty show about that zone. Her name is the SS Queen of Glasgow. Her registry British. Gross tonnage 5,000. Age indeterminate. At this moment, she's one day out of Liverpool. Her destination, New York. Duly recorded on this ship's log is the sailing time, course to destination, weather conditions, temperature, longitude, and latitude. But what is never recorded in a log is the fear that washes over a deck like fog and ocean spray. Fear like the throbbing strokes of engine pistons, each like a heartbeat, parceling out every hour into breathless minutes of watching, waiting, and dreading. For the year is 1942, and this particular ship has lost its convoy. It travels alone like an aged, blind thing groping through the unfriendly dark, stalked by unseen periscopes of steel killers. Yes, the Queen of Glasgow is a frightened ship, and she carries with her a premonition of death. Episode 10 of The Twilight. Hey, we finally hit double, double digits, Sean. That's, that's a big day. Milestone. Uh, that was Judgment Night, and uh, it is the debut of another frequent villain on The Twilight Zone. Uh, we had the devil, and now we have the Nazis. Yes. Which also means that it was the debut of that drum music that they always use for anything Nazi-related <laughs> on The Twilight Zone. I don't know if you ever noticed that. You know, I haven't, but uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And now it's one of those things where, you know, like you were talking about, uh, I think it was, you know, ep- uh, episode six or seven, um, the way the uh, the grandpa from Problem Child said woman, you, I, I will never be able to unhear that now. Right. Yeah, exactly. Just once you see it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know what this says about me, but uh, like. Growing up and uh, and you know into adulthood and everything, this is actually one of my favorite episodes. So I'm, and I, I think it's mostly because they're like ships, and one of the characters <laughs> randomly works into conversation that he's from Chicago. So I, oh yeah, that's clearly why I I always liked it. Um, yeah, I, I actually the first thing I wrote down was this is one of my fav- favorite episodes as a kid because it was one of the early instances of the Nazis getting their comeuppance. Yeah, and uh, that's one thing you can count on in a Twilight Zone episode about the Nazis is it's not going to end well for the Nazis. It never does. <laughs> what more can you ask for? Really? Uh, this, is the, this is the second straight story about a really nervous guy dreaming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this Good one, connection. Yeah. Unlike the, uh, unlike the last one, this one was actually written by Rod Serling, though. Yes. Um, the uh, and uh, I think we might actually agree of a particularly frightening scene uh, towards the end of the episode as well. Oh, really? Uh, I can I can think of one that would be particularly frightening to me. Uh, Which one is it? Uh, it's actually the one where. Uh, so the ship is getting fired upon by the Nazi U-boat. Yeah. And uh, there's a, there's a woman who's, I, I, I guess, in her cabin. But all you see is her head sticking her head out the. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and flames behind her and she screams and then it cuts away. Yeah, that is that's. Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty. That's pretty disturbing. Um, I was going to say when uh, when Lancer is running through the um, the ship, the uh, 
um, the Glasgow, the Glasgow, uh, when he runs into the group of passengers and they just silently stare back at him. Mm-hmm. It's such a great shot. And it's, I don't know why it's terrifying to me. Cause I mean, they're, they're just ghosts looking at him. Yeah. So judging that, that him. is e- even wh- whether it's, uh, you know, dreaming about the, the, the woman who's, you know, in her cabin and it's on fire or just these people blankly staring at him hundred times scarier than a woman in a cat suit <laughs> like happened in the last episode. Agreed. Agreed. We can agree on that. I'm, I'm just saying not to, not to pile on uh, a <laughs> chance to dream the, the previous episode, but still it deserves it. I think it is. By the way, one thing that uh, I thought was uh, kind of funny in this episode is that uh, they're on a British ship. But uh, yeah. beverages are coffee rather than tea because General Food sponsored the episode. <laughs> now, I worked in broadcasting for a while, and I shouldn't be shocked at a sponsor being that petty, but I still was surprised by that. It's so funny. I um, I read a quote from Serling saying that they had to go through 18 script uh, revisions just from that one quote. Um, because like you said, and I, I guess the, uh, the sponsor sold uh, – not just coffee, but Senka, <laughs> which is just the the worst drink. Like, what's the point? Uh, the Italian Coke uh, that they have at the, the World of Coke in Atlanta, that uh-huh. is the worst drink in the history of drinks. So I, I would fight you on that one. Why is it bad? Um, it, it, it tastes like death. It, <laughs> it, it, it's horrible. <laughs> so this is what death tastes like. <laughs> exactly. Oh, God. Um, This episode is uh, fantastic just because I would I'm I'm trying to view it through the lens of watching it for the first time. And I don't know that it necessarily telegraphs uh, where it's going right away, aside from the fact that the Lancer has a pretty recognizable German accent. Right. Um, But was it weird to you that all of the the British people on board, uh, that they're not more immediately paranoid in 1942 of a German accent on a boat? (laughs) Uh, It actually did jump out at me because, you know, you think about it, a a Japanese person just lives on the West Coast and we're throwing him into camps here in the U.S. The British have a a German guy just randomly show up on a a ship in the middle of a convoy and nobody's bothered by it. this there there this is a year after the blitz ended in the UK and they're really only on guard until he says he's from Frankfurt. And, and they're really not on guard about it. They just oh, so you're from Germany, huh? <laughs> I was expecting them to say Frankfurt. Oh, Kentucky, I've been there. <laughs> also, you know, like uh I think we've both established that we we both really like this episode, but I think it does require at least a little bit of tough love. Mm-hmm. In that, uh, you know, we've talked about uh, in previous episodes about, you know, sometimes they've got 90 minutes of story that they have to tell in 20 yeah. minutes. And sometimes it's it's two minutes that they're trying to stretch into uh, 22 minutes. And the one thing that jumped out at me, it, 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 I, it's something I had never noticed before, but it jumped out at me like from the very beginning. And I just couldn't get over it was the fact that. They could have told this story in about five minutes if Walter <laughs> just didn't talk so slowly and repeat himself so much. <laughs> like he literally says everything four times. 
Oh my god, yeah. I uh, I it noticed that like, a couple times. It was like they did four takes of every line, but they realized <laughs> they had a bunch of time to fill, so they're just like, you know, we're using all four of them. Oh god, we gotta use all these. <laughs> maybe maybe someone suggested that they uh, to Serling that they run a couple more Sanka ads to fill time, but Serling had a chip on his shoulder about it, so he was like, no, we're using every take of Lancer saying, you've got to get off this boat. Yeah, it it wasn't just you've got to get off this boat. It was literally everything. Like he's he's talking so slowly and he's repeating himself. And it, it reminded me of uh, Les Nessman in uh, WKRP in the Turkey Drop episode <laughs> where he's reading the banner on the on the uh, on the helicopter. And it's so clear like what the banner's saying, but he's got to read it like letter for letter. And I'm, that, that's what I that's what I thought of. That's probably a very weird connection to make with this episode, given the the rather dark tone of it. But that's immediately what I thought of. I have to I have to ask as a as a, uh, a radio professional uh, for for many years is WKRP is that um, is that like a favorite of yours? Uh, yeah, actually, actually, I would I would say it's it's pretty good. Uh, Another one that's surprisingly uh, accurate about the radio experience is Frasier. That's yeah. That's what I was going to ask next. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Um, yeah. So speaking of uh, you know just characters talking really slowly, uh, one of the podcasts I listen to it's a horror fiction podcast and it's called No Sleep, and um, it started out <clears throat> with uh, basically this guy David Cummings from uh, I think he's from Toronto, and he. Um, basically just took uh, uh, stories off Reddit that were anonymous, I think, or he got, you know, author's permission and basically read them. And then, you know, slowly he's, uh, you know, amassed, uh, amassed uh, other voice actors and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, you know, they're, they do international tours and it's been 14 seasons. And, um, but I have to listen to every episode at at least 1.5 the speed. Um, <laughs> if, if not two times, because it's just so slow. And I understand reading slow, talking slow in an episode of, uh, of Twilight Zone, you're, you're setting the mood and stuff, but it gets to a point where it's just like, man, where is the chase and how do we cut to it? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I, but, but, you know, I will say that half of this story is just like the impending sense of doom. Yeah, that you know, you know, you can tell he feels it. No, nobody else in the ship really does. Like they, they, <laughs> they're like, you know, they're British. They're just keeping calm and carrying on. They're like stiff upper you know lip. It, sure, there's probably a bunch of U-boats out there that might sink us. Oh, the engines are broke. Eh, you know what? If they get us, they get us. You know, if I get COVID, I get COVID. I am I am terrified to leave my house. And these it is 1942, and these people <laughs> are on a ship. In the Atlantic Ocean, just n- not a care in the world. Yeah, yeah. And, and really, the only uh, indication you get that maybe there's something to be worried about is the fact that they uh, they they rigged the dining room with a one of those refrigerator lights so that when you open <laughs> the door, it shuts off. It's actually a, a reverse refrigerator light. <laughs> I need to install some of those around here, I think. I, I, I think so, especially... Uh, you know, just so your neighbors don't know when you're leaving or anything like that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's really the only sign there's anything out of the ordinary, aside from the fact that uh, it's probably going to be like uh, the honeymoon cruise that, uh, uh, you know, my, my future wife and I will go on in a few months. I would imagine it will be as deserted as, as it <laughs> was. Uh, so not, not, many, not many passengers, but other than that, not a whole lot to, uh, 
indicate there's anything to be worried about. That'll set a nice tone. By by the way, uh, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but I think there's there's only like one or two scenes where the captain is in. Yeah. And uh, uh, at one point, it's actually fairly early in the uh, in the episode. He calls the first officer number one. <laughs> and, like immediately, my my ears perked up. I'm like, what? What? So I, I didn't know if that was actually common on British ships or uh, Rod Surly just. Uh, made that up so that you could immediately know who he's talking to or, you know, maybe we could, uh, I, I, I think that qualifies for the, uh, the category, the bastion of, uh, of unusual names in the twilight zone. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> well, I think he was, he was, you know, like I, I just assumed, I, I don't even know. I assumed he was referring to the first officer and that was probably just, his, <laughs> you know, Sterling, when he wrote it, it was like, well, I, I want to, uh, I don't want him to be just some rando on the bridge. I want him to be the first officer. So how am I going to do that? Oh, he'll be number one. He'll be number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I think that, I don't know. I, I, in a roundabout way, you know, obviously the, the main plot, the main morality tale here is, uh, Nazis are bad and they get theirs in the end. Right. Right. Um, so the, so Lancer, you know, uh, he wakes up on the, on this British ship. He finds out, he realizes he's, um, a, uh, a German U-boat captain or, you know, officer. And he, um, the, the time one fifteen in the morning pops in his mind. He slowly realizes that, you know, that's the, that's the time that, um, the boat that, the, that he's on gets attacked by German U-boats. He tries to warn everybody. Um, <clears throat> once he goes down with the ship, I guess, uh, you know, he wakes up in his, uh, German U-boat with his, with his number one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, his number one kind of, uh, questions, you know, why are we killing all these people? Um, you know, uh, they, they die only once our hell is to relive this for all eternity in a roundabout way. Is that like an anti-death penalty message? <laughs> Be- like oh, speaking, I never thought about that. that that's like, point. you know, the thing that jumped out at me about that scene at the end is that, uh, that, uh, first officer is, uh, is very handsome and very American looking <laughs> yeah, really American, but, but you know, like he's, he just, he just seems like it, like literally, as I'm watching that, I'm, I'm thinking, why is there an American on a U-boat? <laughs> and and you know, I, I watched this again last night, um, but I can't remember or not, if if he actually had a German accent or not. No, I uh, well, at least compared to Lancer, he didn't. Yeah. Um. But but he was blonde, so we'll give him that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I guess that works. It, it's um, you know, it's sort of the the. The precursor to uh, the creative uh, punishment uh, division of hell on The Simpsons you know, <laughs> Homer is, is sent to hell for the day in a in a Halloween episode, and they just keep they have that machine that just keeps shoving donuts in his face. <laughs> uh, I, I think that was, that was my takeaway, both when I was uh, when I was a youngin watching this, and and now is. Um, you know, th- probably the worst hell you can imagine is where they get creative in, in torturing. Him. <laughs> is there is there a point where you can, uh, as a Simpsons fan, that you can uh, place where 
you can where I can stop watching. Like I every, after every conversation with you when a Simpsons reference comes up, I want to immediately go back to season one, episode one, and just plow through for weeks and watch as many as possible. But I always wonder like when I should stop. Well, I am one that uh, actually still thinks the Simpsons are funny. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm not I'm not one that's, uh, you know, grousing about, oh, why do they keep the show going? and hasn't been good for for 15 years or, or anything. Yeah. Like that. But the one thing that I will say is that it's not as good as it once was. And I don't think it's anybody's fault because I think that it you can almost like directly coincide it with uh, Phil Hartman's death. Oh, okay. Because at that point, you lose Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz. Ooh, yeah. And, like, you just can't take, like, those two characters away and not lose anything. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. It's definitely not at the level, you know, it once was. And I think that that's why, because you're you're missing, you know. And and it's not like you could create a character that would be, like, a a fill-in for that. I mean... I guess they kind of did on uh, on Futurama because they had uh, Zap Brannigan, and he's he's kind of in the same yeah. in the same mold as uh, as Troy McClure a little bit. But uh, I, I think if there's if there's any decline in quality, I think that's actually it. I don't I don't think it's the writing or or anything like that. I think it's it's literally you lost two really funny characters that you could just throw into any situation and and yeah. people laugh. That makes sense. Yeah, it's um, and plus, you know, I mean, during the the golden age, the heyday of of, of the Simpsons, there were you know ten other shows on TV. So that's true. <laughs> true. So I, um, yeah, I, I that that would that would be my my theory on the Simpsons, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if everybody would agree with me on that one, but that that's where I land on the Simpsons. And, and as far as I'm concerned, they can, they can keep going as long as they want. Nice. Um, I have, uh, I have two fun facts about this episode. Okay. Judgment, judgment night. Um, there wasn't, episode, but, but some fun facts. <laughs> there was indeed a, um, uh, a United Kingdom ship called the HMS Glasgow. Oh, really? That was, that was commissioned September 9th, 1937. Um, <clears throat> decommissioned in 56, did not sink. Uh, sold for scrap in July 1958. It actually had kind of a short life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 20, 21 years. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, the guy who played Lancer, uh, Nehemiah Persoff, uh, passed away late last year, less than a year ago from today, at the ripe old age of exactly 100. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I I found myself wondering that uh like when I was looking up uh you know who who was playing who in in various episodes. Like, yeah. It, it would be interesting to know um like I I I know there's there's quite a few people involved behind the scenes that are actually still with us. But I wonder how many of the how many of the actors are uh, are still around. Yeah, it's um, and I actually went to went to uh, Nehemiah Persoff's Wikipedia page, and um, I guess his death was so recent that uh, it's not updated. So he oh, yeah, uh, the way around. Usually, they got their death up there before they even announced it. It, it. it says he passed away up top, but uh, under personal life, it says he currently lives with his wife in you know Frankfort, Kentucky, or wherever he lives. 
It, it would be awesome if he acted <laughs> Frankfurt, Kentucky. Berlin, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked a few times about, you know, because I think of like really practical things when I'm watching a, an episode, especially if it's something like the Twilight Zone where I've seen everything yeah. you know, a few times and I'm, weird things pop into my brain. And, um, uh-huh. you know, it, I, I, I would really like to know uh, when they were writing episodes, did they just give Rod Serling a list of sets that happened to be around? And he said, <laughs> you know what? Here's the story that I'm going to tell on this set. I think so, because um, in, in, in a couple episodes, uh, in, in about two episodes, I, I, I have the same feeling. Yeah, because the, the sets for this episode were from the 1959 movie, The Wreck of the Merry Deer with Gary Cooper, Charlton Heston. and uh, Really? So literally just recycling a, a, a set that happened to be around the MGM lot. That that makes a lot that makes a lot of sense that it's um, it looks a lot like better than you know walls made out of cardboard. Yeah, yeah, and I think I'd actually have uh, even more respect for Rod Serling as a writer if I knew that that it was literally like, kind of like <laughs> sci-fi improv where they told me, "Okay, here's the sets we have. Go write a story." Oh God, there's got to be some kind of sci-fi improv out there that we can we can watch. Well, I, here in Chicago, there was actually a, a podcast they just uh, recently ended. I think they're they're uh, going to be doing some more stuff. That was uh, improvised Star Trek. Oh wow! That, yeah that that was a that was a podcast. I like I said, I think they're going to be doing other stuff. It was literally an improv group that just started doing that on the side, and uh, uh, so so there's some stuff out there. That's awesome. Um, in my mind, that's uh, that podcast was probably recorded live at like the Green Mill. Um, probably not far off. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I do think that there's uh, plenty of instances where Rod Serling is like, you know, he's like the Simpsons in, in a lot of ways because he seems to predict the future. Um, <laughs> the, the main character in this story is trapped in a small area. Uh, every day seems exactly the same. <laughs> and he thinks they're all doomed. So Rod Serling basically predicted the COVID-19 lockdown. That's the way I see it. There's no other way to interpret this episode. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, next week, we, uh, we, we check out uh, the episode and when the sky was opened, which is uh, one of my favorites. It's good. The SS Queen of Glasgow heading for New York, and the time is 1942. For one man, it is always 1942. Light in the salon. Let's black out down there. And this man will ride the ghost of that ship every night for eternity. This is what is meant by paying the fiddler. This is the comeuppance awaiting every man when the ledger of his life is opened and examined. The tally made and then the reward or the penalty paid. And in the case of Carl Lancer, former Capitan Leutnant, Navy of the Third Reich, this is the penalty. This is the justice meted out. This is judgment night. In the Twilight Zone. Cabatron?